Hey, hey, this is Shannon E. Johnson, and this is how I create. Welcome to This Is How We Create, a show that digs deeper into the creative life of contemporary artists of color. Discover what feeds their creativity and how they found or are finding their artistic voice. Through these intimate and candid conversations, you'll gain insights into the lives of creative professionals of color that are hard to find anywhere else. Welcome back to This Is How We Create. I'm your host, Martine Severin. Have you ever wondered how a movie gets made? Or better yet, where do ideas from movies come from? How does a script get made? And if you're like me, a person who has her eyes set on making a short film someday, wouldn't it be great if there were someone there to help you buff up your idea and make the end product simply spectacular? Well, I have a surprise for you today because we have Shannon E. Johnson joining us on the podcast. Shannon is a former creative executive at NBCU and the Sci-Fi Channel. She left her full-time gig to become a storytelling expert who develops creatives and their ideas for the screen. As a script consultant, teacher, and therapist, She uses her innate understanding of storytelling to make compelling TV and movies as well. In today's podcast, Shannon walks us through her wide-ranging career and shares what it's like to work in Hollywood. Oh, and there's also the great tips that she shares on how to write and tell a very good story. I walked away from our conversation with a framework on how to approach fear and how to position my vision so that I can achieve my desirable outcomes. As you listen to this interview, the conversation will skip forward here and there, and that is because Shannon's audio cut off at certain points. Enjoy the show. I'm so pleased to welcome Shannon E. Johnson to the podcast. Shannon, welcome. Hello, thank you for having me. Shannon, you are many things. You are a script consultant, you're a teacher, and you're a therapist. Yes. (laughs) Essentially, you help those who want to be in Hollywood or those who want to take their script or a story and turn it into a script. You make them tell a better story. Can you tell us how you first got interested in storytelling? I believe that all children are born with this natural thing, right? And so for me, I was a performing arts kind of kid. And their storytelling in dance, their storytelling in singing, their story, storytelling in theater. But also, I was a kid whose head was always in a book. I loved disappearing from whatever moment I was in into a faraway place. So I grew up reading fiction. I carried a book everywhere I went. I would read as I walked across my college campuses. People didn't understand how I did it, but I never bumped into anything. So I just grew up really loving reading about stories. And so not really knowing anything about screenwriting whatsoever, I grew up wanting to be an author. So when I was in elementary school, I was writing like little short stories and chapter books. I wrote my first chapter book when I was in fifth grade. Thank you to my teacher, Mrs. Jones, who allowed me to read it out loud to the class. So I got interested in being a writer simply because I enjoyed reading. I enjoyed new worlds. I enjoyed characters. And so it wasn't until I got to college that my mother sent me 
a magazine article. I can't remember if it was Ebony or Jet Magazine. Uh, I don't think it was Essence because I think it was smaller in size. And it was about a Black female TV writer. And I had never even considered writing for TV or film because, again, I just didn't know a screenwriter existed. And you just don't know what you don't know, right? I just assumed somehow you write a book and it just ends up on television. Like I never really thought about the process in between. So once she sent me that article, and it's crazy, right? Because how did she know to send me that if I never talked about writing for TV or film? (laughs) But she sent that to me and that kind of changed my entire trajectory. And I decided this is what I wanted to do more than I want write books. I wanted to write for TV and film. So from that moment on, I changed the trajectory in my studies and everything, decided to go to graduate school for film school so I could start to hone that craft. Your life was altered by a magazine article. Wow. Yes. And actually what's crazy is I was studying magazine writing at the time because I always knew I wanted to be an author, but I understood that you don't just become an author tomorrow and start making money as an author, right? So you still had to have a day job. And I wanted to make sure that my day job was still decently creative and that I would be writing. And so my degrees are in journalism and English from undergrad. So I chose the journalism route. And then of all things in journalism, magazine writing felt like it would be the closest thing I could get to fiction, even though it's not, even though it was still news and facts or whatever. But I thought at least it could be a little more flowery than like the newspaper. So I was studying magazine writing and then my mother sent me this magazine article and then it was like, yep, that's it. And she sent that to me my senior year in college. So I'm like, literally only months away from graduating and I decided right then changing my entire thing wow that must have been quite a bit of work that you did because if you were in your senior year Mm -hmm. to then switch that's quite some conviction yeah oh yeah and I did that a lot in my life in my career I've just never been afraid of change and I've never been afraid of taking the risk because I just don't like to to have regret. So it's I'm not afraid of failure. So let's just do it. <laughs> if it doesn't work out, well, okay. Nine times out of 10, I learned something that pushed me towards my next thing. So it was no big deal at all. It was like, oh, great. Thank you. Because also graduating from college within, with a journalism and English degree, I went to an engineering and business college. So I was already floating in the wind. Just, what do I do with this? Where am I going to go? to write for a magazine? How am I going to get there? I'm still going to have to start from the bottom, which I didn't know anything about Hollywood at the top at the time, but it was like, I'm still gonna have to start from the bottom and work in someone's mailroom. And with my English degree, what am I going to do? Go be a teacher? I don't want to be a teacher. So soon as this magazine article came, it was like, great. Now I know what I can focus on because I was going to go to graduate school anyway. I come from a house of overachievers. So I knew I couldn't be the only one who didn't have a graduate degree. So I was going to go but I didn't know what to study because I wasn't interested in anything else. (laughs) So as soon as I got that magazine article, it was like, boom, and here's graduate school. Here we go. Now I get to focus on something and get to learn something new. And it can help me to get to the next step in the screenwriting career. Shannon, where did you grow up? I grew up in Houston, Texas. Got it. Yes, of course. In some of the research I did about you, I was wondering why some of your original films were done in Texas. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Now that now I understand. Okay, so in doing some of the research about you, or at least how I first found you is because as a photographer, I'm really interested, or I guess I've always been interested in storytelling, because like you, when I was little, I wanted to be a writer, mainly Mm. because when we moved to the US from the Caribbean, I didn't speak any English. 
and mm-hmm. we didn't we didn't have any friends and as i learned more and more english i found books and books were my friends which is really sad right. no not <laughs> But, at all they were my friends too and also you learned so much about the language by reading Yes, you learn about the language and then the unspoken cultural norms that you can't just mm-hmm. put your hand on. Why do people do these things? One of the cultural norms I learned is that American women when they get sad, they eat ice cream. It <laughs> 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 is really weird. Why would you eat something cold when weird. you're sad? But <laughs> that's it. That's It's a non sequitur. One of the things I I heard you say and I heard you explain the difference between what a novelist does versus what a screenwriter does and what a poet does. I think I, I don't remember if the poetry part is correct, but I really love what you had to say about the difference between a novelist and a screenwriter. Can you mm-hmm. explain a little bit more about that? Yeah, it was probably a playwright. It was probably novelist, right. screenwriter, and playwright. The biggest difference is that the mode of storytelling is different, right? So when you consider novel writing, you're able to tell your story through description because each individual who's going to read it gets to make it whatever they want it to be in their minds. So you're able to be as detailed as you want so that you can give them every single thing to paint their picture. When you're thinking about theater, everything is pushed by dialogue because they don't have a million sets and a million locations and places that you learn about the story and everything that pushes the story forward is coming through dialogue directly to the audience. Whereas in screenwriting, we tell stories through action because we do have the privilege of having several locations and the space for the characters to get physical. And so even though you might have a story about the exact same thing. If you put it in those three different types of storytelling, you're going to get three different types of story. And so usually because screenwriting is not something that's taught in many schools, especially grade schools, and even on the college level, it's not usually a class that you can take. Most people are coming from a creative writing space or a theater space and then jumping into screenwriting. And that's one of the biggest transitions for them is to understand that this is told through action and that you don't have to get into the nitty gritty of every single detail because you're not in this alone. As a novelist, it's literally just you. Your editor is going to give you notes, the publisher and all that kind of stuff. But as far as who's creating this story, it's just you. In screenwriting, it is a collaborative effort. So even though that screenwriter might be in their room by themselves, once that thing is sold or gone into production, every other person gets to come in and use their creative juices. So if I'm a set designer, I get to look at your screenplay and it gets to tell me what it tells me and then I get to decide what the set is. So now you don't have to bog down your screenplay with every single detail about what every single thing in the room looks like. Instead, that drags the read. And that's the other difference in screenwriting from playwriting or even a little bit different from a novelist. Because with novelists, someone does have to read their entire novel. But the expectation is different. On the screenplay side, people have to read hundreds and hundreds of scripts per day, right? You don't want to make that read difficult for them. And if the whole point is that it's being pushed by action, then you want to be able to get to that action and get to those moments as with a great pace 
instead of having me read paragraphs and paragraphs of what the room looks like. Instead, you give me a few triggers so that as a set designer, I can now take from that and build what the set is. And the same thing is true for every other little minor detail. And so once you start to learn those differences, then you're able to succeed a little more in, in screenwriting. And so that's why we have to consider if you if there's a novel and you want to make it a screenplay, you have to adapt it. You can't simply just put it in screenplay format. It's not going to work that way, right? You literally have to decide what's the best actionable story to tell from the pages of this novel versus taking the novel and doing word for word on in the screenplay. I really love that. And as you were chatting and I was soaking it all in, I was thinking, man, I'm going to have to listen to this episode a few more times <laughs> because there's so much <laughs> wonderful knowledge that you just dropped because I think most people wouldn't even think to have those that each of those art forms would have their specific roles and specific mm -hmm. the word I'm looking for their specific goals how long did it take you to learn all of this or when can you tell me about the story of how you this all coalesced in your mind you were like aha <laughs> yeah so once I got that magazine article I decided to apply for film school for graduate school. So like I said, I was already going to apply for graduate school, but at first I was only going to apply for English programs, even though that's not what I wanted to do. I just figured, okay, I'll get my degree in that. So once I realized it was film schools, okay, let me grab, let me apply for these schools. In the application process, they requested a screenplay. I had never even seen a screenplay before. Now this is back in the year 2004. So finding screenplays online was very difficult because online wasn't really that big <laughs> at that point. So I literally had to go to the library and go to bookstores in College Station, Texas, which is a little itty bitty town very far from Hollywood to find the one book that I could find on screenwriting. And then I wrote my screenplay. That's all I had. Right. So this was my first time looking at the formatting. I did not own Final Draft. Maybe it existed in 2004. I haven't the slightest idea. I wouldn't have even known how to, to look for it. So I was literally using the space bar in my Word document. And I don't even think it was Word. It was whatever it was uh, before then. I can't remember what it was called, but <laughs> there was another document application that I was using. And I was using the space bar and the tab bar and all of that to try to format it correctly. Now, I can't necessarily say that I understood right away that screenplays were pushed by action. So if I were to go and read that screenplay right now, it's probably far too dialogue heavy. It's probably all tell and no show, probably very on the nose dialogue, because when you decide to write screenplays, you think that they're pushed by dialogue because when you're watching it on screen, that's what you think that you're receiving the entire time is people talking. And then as writers, we often think that dialogue on the page is like conversation between people and it simply isn't. Conversations between people are very on the nose, but when you're watching something on screen, you want things to be a little more nuanced. So I'm sure none of that nuance exists in that setting. So I chose to go to film school. So in film school, that's where I got my deep dive into this is what screenwriting is. This is how you structure it. And it just started to make sense. With that being said, before I got to graduate school, I moved to Los Angeles because I wanted to immerse myself in the culture of the place, in the industry. So I went there. I was an intern at a few different places. I was a production assistant at a few different places. I was a second AD at a few di different places. And I binge watched TV. 
So I didn't have cable at that time. I was living on only what I was making. So I couldn't even add extra meat to any of my meals. Some of my meals were like, well, we're just not going to have any meat. That's we're just out here just trying to make it. So I was doing, this is going to age me, Blockbuster Online. This is when they first started mailing you DVDs that you could watch and then you mail them back. So all I had was my TV with no antenna and a DVD player. That's all I had. So I brought a few DVDs with me. I've always been a collector of movies because I've always liked movies, even though I never considered writing them before them. So I brought only a few with me because I just couldn't fit them everywhere. And I was rewatching them over and over. So finally, I learned about Blockbuster Online and I started watching TV series that I had not seen. And it was there that, like I talked about earlier, the natural thing of storytelling started to come out because I naturally started to understand structure. I could not give you the words because I hadn't gone to school yet. So I didn't know the terms. I didn't know inciting incident. I didn't know. I might have known climax because it's a pretty well-known term, but I wouldn't have been able to tell you what it really meant in screenwriting. But watching those episodes, back-to-back seasons of a show, I could tell you what was going to happen. I knew what was going to happen because I understood the rhythm of it. I knew that right about now, another complication is going to happen. Right about now, we're going to walk into a party. Right about now, someone's going to die and here comes the cliffhanger. I knew that. I wasn't able to, again, verbalize it, but I felt it and understood it. So by the time I got to film school the next year and I was now hearing the terms that connected to it, it was like, oh, okay, got it. It was just a simple thing for me to get. Structure is not does not necessarily come easily to everyone. Structure is something that people find it hard to understand. And most of the time, it's just our creativity fighting against us because we don't want it to have any structure. But, if, but once you really understand it, even if you listen to nursery rhymes or read children's books, they all have that same rhythm. They're all going through those same moments, right? You just have to know where those moments appear within a story and how you get to those moments, kind of like we talked about with whether it's action or dialogue or description or whatever it is. It's like, oh yeah, I totally get this. That didn't mean I was a great screenwriter, but I understood it. And then now I was able to verbalize it. And it was because of that, that I ended up going into being an executive instead of being a writer. Because I would be in class and we were had a very small, very small cohort. There were only five of us, six of us, something like that. Six of us. There were only six of us, two, two women in the class. And I was the only African-American person in the cohort. And we would always have to read each other's stuff and give notes on it. And my teacher, my instructor told me, he was like, why are you so great at getting other people out of their problems, but you can't do that for yourself? Now, anybody else would have seen that as shade, but what I heard was he was telling me that I was good at something. And it also made me realize, and this is the part I liked, I always enjoyed workshop days because I always, when I would hear people's stories, I could feel when the rhythm got off. It's like looking at a puzzle. It's like doing a math problem. I'm terrible at math, but for me, (laughs) stories are like math. It's yeah, two plus two is four. Always. It doesn't change. So when I'm hearing people's stories, I automatically go, that's where the problem is. And now I'm able, and at that point, I started to be able to give them the words so they can understand where the problem was and possibly then be able to fix it. So it was because of that that made me say, I want to go into the executive route because I want to be the person who helps people to develop their screenplays. I enjoy writing. I really do. But I love helping other people write. 
And so I made that decision again, just like getting that magazine article. It was like, oh, and that's what I want to do. So now it had been three years with me focused on, I'm going to become a screenwriter. And I was doing all this writing and I wrote all kinds of stuff. But in that moment, when he said, why are you good at this, at giving notes? And I said, oh, this because that's what I want to do. And then again, switched up my trajectory. Oh, wow. <laughs> How brilliant is that, that when you take notes or when you take feedback, it might be that someone isn't throwing shade, but it's that they're pointing out something that you're not aware of. Yeah. It's really brilliant that you were able to take it and to take that feedback and completely turn it into a side hustle. Right. It's like that instructor probably does not know he changed my life that day. <laughs> so from there, you decide to become an executive. Could you tell yes. me what that was about? What were yeah. some of your responsibilities? So the thing about film school, and this is no shade to film school, I just like to be, I like to be honest with people and give them information so they, that if their information, this is also not true of all film schools, but it is true of most film schools. Most film schools will prepare you for the creative side, whether it's writing, directing, even editing, sometimes producing. A lot of people, a lot of places don't have producing programs, but some do. But that being said, most of them don't teach you about the business of Hollywood. So I didn't in that moment say, I want to be an executive because I didn't know executives existed. <laughs> I didn't know what they did. All I know was that I heard you're good at giving notes to people. So I went to the Google or whatever it is. It was probably Yahoo or Bing or something back then. And I just started using those keywords and trying to figure out what would come of it. And then I started seeing the word development. I still didn't know what it meant. There was nothing online telling me what it meant. But I just kept going. I think that's what I'm supposed to be doing. I think it's that, right? I needed to know who gives the notes on the movies, who gives the notes on the TV shows. And so I started typing in that kind of stuff. And eventually, it eventually brought me across the NBC Associates program. Um, because there were a lot of different programs around at that time, but most of them were to take you into production or writing. And I had already decided, even though I was applying for writing fellowships, I always like to have a, a contingency plan, but I knew I didn't want to go into writing at that moment. But I was looking for a program because, like I said before, I like to learn in a classroom setting. So I knew I didn't know anything about being an executive. I didn't know anything about development. So I applied to this program thinking this program is going to teach me these things. And so the NBC Associates program was a fast track to the executive suite. In Hollywood, it's very hard to go from assistant to executive. There are many reasons for that, but I like to give the more logical reason. The logical reason is there are more assistants than there are executives. <laughs> That's the logical thing. So as much as you may want to be an executive, unless an executive leaves, there is no spot open. And even if an executive leaves, if it's not the junior executive, you're not going to jump from assistant all the way up to executive vice president. You know what I mean? So it's like, unless it's one of the junior people who's moving up or getting promoted and there's actual position for you to move into, then you're still stuck on your desk. And then in Hollywood, it's a who you know kind of place. So it's not like there's a place that you can go and just apply to become a creative executive. If those job postings are out there, they've already been filled. They're just putting them out there because they have to. So even if you work in one building and there's an executive position open in another building, your job is to be networking with people all the time. Now you came and took the position from some other assistant that was looking to get that spot. So it's just not enough positions for everybody. So they're very coveted positions. 
this is not something I knew anything about. Again, I was applying because I thought it was a program and I thought this will be educational and then I can decide to apply to be an executive, which again, does not exist. So there are thousands upon thousands of people applying for this. Supposedly they only open it up every two years. And then my year ended up being the second to last year they ever did it. Oh, so wow. that meant everybody in Hollywood was waiting on this program to open every year. And meanwhile, I'm in Tallahassee, Florida, not knowing anything about anything, came across it and said, you know what? I'm going to apply. So I guess my coverage was good enough. Coverage is when you read a screenplay and you're able to quickly analyze it for marketability, quickly talk about story, but mostly it's about marketability. I say that without having ever been taught what coverage was in film school. I'm not saying that they don't currently teach what coverage is in film school, but when I was there, nobody even mentioned the word. <laughs> but here well, I am. I'm yeah. going to interrupt you for a second because I'm really interested in whether what you remember from how you wrote about the market marketability of this yeah. screenplay that you read. Yeah. To be honest with you, I probably... Googled or Yahoo or Binged or whatever it was, because I don't think I started using Google way, way back then. I probably just tried to see if I could find some samples. We had a few of our alum come visit and talk to us. I might have, I don't remember at all, but I might have reached out to one of them and said, hey, what's coverage? Can you send me a sample, <laughs> right? So that I can see. And I'm one of those people who can like, okay, see this as a template and then try to apply it on my end. But at the end of the day, which is what we'll get into later when we start to talk about the professional pen, I believe coverage is, un is unhelpful for writers. What I understood in the moment is I'm not writing coverage for a writer right now. I'm writing it for the executives or for whoever these people are over the program. So I just have to be able to talk to them enough about story and enough about whether people want to see this kind of script or not. You know, do they want to see this kind of TV show? Do they want to see this kind of film? And whatever it is I put on the page was enough for me to get to an interview. They flew me in for the interview. I interviewed with people all over the, the company because what I did not know then is that they placed people in all different parts of the company. And that wherever they placed you, that's where you were. So it wasn't one of those, one of those programs where they place you and rotate. So nope, they're going to place you in one place. So I met with people all over the company in my interviews. If they asked me what I was watching on TV, if they asked me about one of their own shows and whether I liked it or not, if I didn't like it, I told them I didn't like it. But the difference is I knew why I didn't like it. Whereas mm. other people, I don't know what other people did in, in their interviews, but they probably would just go, yeah, that's a great show. So I don't even watch that show. I'm not going to tell you I watch it. <laughs> so what, would you say, you would say that you didn't like it. Can you give me an example? So let's say, I guess back yeah. in the day. I'm... So one of the examples was Heroes. And I loved Heroes, but only the first season. The second and third seasons were terrible. <laughs> and I told them, and I said, it's because it's based on this premise. And obviously I don't remember all of the stuff. It's based on this premise that only these few people have these powers and now they're trying to figure it out. And they live in this town and they're all kind of connected. Then we get into season two and it's a road trip season. So I'm not even in the place that you established for me. I'm not following some of my characters. Now, by the time I get to season three, there's so many people who are now superhuman that this is no longer about people being special. Now everybody mm. has it, right? And mm. they had set up these rules that I don't remember now, but they started to contradict some of those rules. And so it made me feel like the writers didn't know what they were doing. 
<laughs> so that's what I said. And I think that they were shocked that I was that honest, but I just didn't know what else to say. I don't want you to ask me. And then I say, yeah. And they go, what do you like about it? And now you're seeing me try to fish for things. And so I loved Heroes the first season, but after that, no. Also, I was telling them that Friday Night Lights was the best TV show on the planet, but that they had set it up for failure because they were putting it on Friday nights. I said, because it's a show that's based in Texas, the only people who are really going to watch it are people who are in cities like that, states like that. People in L.A. and New York never got into Friday Night Lights because they felt it was too slow, too country, too this or too that. So the people who are actually watching it are the people who are not at home on Friday nights because they're at their own football games. So I said, the reason it isn't doing well is because of the time that you're playing it. If you put it on Friday, if you put it on Saturday, you're setting it up to fail, even though it's one of your best TV shows on your network. And so I think that they were, and so it it did end up failing. They ended up having to go into some kind of deal. I don't know if it was Spectrum or some random network like that, where they would show it, show it during one part of the year on that network and then show it on NBC the the next part of the year. And it was just like, yeah, it's just, this isn't working. And it's a beautiful, it's one of, it's one of the best TV shows. I was honest about those things. And so out of the hundred thousand people who were applying, who I knew nothing about, I was one of the five people they chose. I was the only person who was not already living in Los Angeles. And I was the only the second person who was not already working at NBC Universal. So every single person they picked already worked at NBC Universal and or already were assistants or working on someone's desk. I was the only person coming straight out of graduate school in Florida. So that was also a quick learning curve that they don't care about degrees out here in Los Angeles. And I'm not saying that they should. It's just that you grow up in a conservative place like Texas and you think degrees matter. You get to Los Angeles and you realize you just wasted all your money. You didn't have to do any of that. So getting into that program is where I started to learn what an executive is. But the reason that I've been saying this whole time is that I thought it was a program. It was not a program. It was a job. And I did not know that. So I literally got hired and got put on a desk and was expected to just go. But the reason I signed up is because I thought someone was going to teach me what to do. Mm. So I had a really hard time because I had no information whatsoever. Again, I wasn't even living in California at the time. I had never been on a desk before. I had, but it was in production on a reality TV show, which was totally different, right? Everything that, that they do in reality TV is just different from what you do in scripted. So I had no idea what I was doing. And I was really disappointed because I'm an overachiever. I do well in everything that I do, but I didn't even know what I didn't know. So I couldn't even ask questions. And on my very first day there, I was told be seen and not heard. And that question, wow. because I don't know how I'm supposed to learn if you won't give me a chance to fail. I have to be able to bust my head on the ground a few times so that I can learn it. But if I can't say anything and I'm just supposed to be here, how am I supposed to learn? So it was a really tough time for me. Now, because I'm a smart chick, And because I myself, I eventually got it, but I was way behind the rest of my cohort. The rest of my cohort was being promoted to the next level. And I was still trying to figure out what was going on because I felt like I was on my own. And because we were all in different parts of the company, other people had far more supportive mentors that understood that their job was to teach. I felt like the people in my department did not understand that. I don't think that they knew and just decided not to do it. I think that they didn't understand that was their role, that they were supposed to be guiding me and teaching me. Instead, it was just like, and here's the new girl. She works here. Figure it out. And so it wasn't until we made a new hire who had been a producer 
and had never been an executive. And just to give you a quick difference between the two, for him as an independent producer, you do things how you want to do them. <laughs> when you work in a network, it's going corporate, right? Like how it was set up. And so because of that, he allowed me to do things that other people wouldn't let me do. So I learned a lot. So by the time my two years were up, I had learned everything from the Ruta to the Tudor. I was even doing digital content. This was at the very beginning of digital content. And since I was the young person in the room, they were like, okay, Shannon, figure out what we should put on our website. Wait, what? I don't work in digital. Okay, Shannon, figure out what our marketing campaign should be. Wait, my degree is not in marketing. Why aren't the marketing people pitching to us? Why are we pitching to them? Like it was that kind of stuff where it was like, I didn't realize a creative executive does everything, everything from the top to the bottom of whatever it is that they are creating. They do marketing, they do branding, they do digital, they do, they read all the scripts, they give notes on the scripts, they're in casting, they're on set, they do everything. They are the people at the very, very top of the food chain in this industry. And I learned that by being thrown into it and expected to know what to do. So it was a big hit to my confidence because I realized I have no idea what I'm doing. So if it wasn't for, there was another woman who was in my cohort with me who had already been working at NBC and had just been waiting on her chance to become an executive. So she was far ahead. So she was able to give me pointers and tell me which direction to, to turn and look. Cause I was just sitting there. I was like, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. So I learned the hard way, but being in that situation, I was able to learn everything. And then no matter, even with not knowing what I was doing, I also understood I'm one of the only people here who has been a writer or is a writer or who has an education in writing. So I still understood story just as much, if not more than a lot of the people who were above me. It's just that the job itself is far more than story. And I thought I was getting into a job that was only about story. And I didn't realize I was going to be expected to be a marketing executive or a digital content creator. <laughs> like I, I didn't know. So yeah, so that's where I honed all of it. That's where I really started to understand Hollywood and really started to understand story on a, from the buyer side, right? Because the network is, is the buyer and that's where I worked. But the other woman who was in my program was on the seller side. She was at the studio. So I got to learn a little bit about what she was doing because at that time, NBC had created their own studio, was pretty new. And so we worked in tandem for a lot of things. So I was understanding the seller side and the buyer side. I was a little jealous because on the seller side, they could work in all different functions and, and departments and genres, et cetera. Whereas on the network side, we're very branded. This is what we make. You know what I mean? So we're only working mm -hmm. on one kind of one kind of a thing. So yeah, it was a rush of information. It's a crazy learning curve. But all in all, I'm so glad I did it because it's one of the reasons I was able to create the professional pin because I was then able to take the things that I enjoyed about being an executive and just focus in on that stuff. Now with that being said, also learning all that stuff while I was an executive, I learned more about marketing. So one of the reasons the professional pin does decently well on Instagram is because I know a little bit about marketing and branding. I know a little <laughs> bit about digital content. Like I, I have made every single one of my websites and all that kind of stuff. So I'm pretty well-rounded at this point. It's because of those experiences. So even though they didn't feel good in the moment, I can't say I wouldn't change it. The way I would change it is to have had more support from my team. But other than that, I think it all went how it was supposed to go. I got the information that I needed. That's beautiful. It's such, as you were chatting, I could see it. <laughs> I could see the movie <laughs> of your life. I'd love to know how you came about starting the professional pen, because this is what you are still creating 
movies, you have a production mm -hmm. house. Um, yeah. But this is one of your, one of the things that you do. Yeah. So <laughs> funny thing. So I'm in the middle of being a creative executive and I'm finally at a place where I'm confident. I know what I'm doing. I have a voice again, have, uh, only because the, the other person who was hired just was like, yeah, you handle it. So I had a voice. I was in a good place, but I knew I wanted to work somewhere else. I knew I was ready to take my talents to a different network and to work in a different genre. So I was in a place of transition. Excuse me. It was that time that one of my friends contacted me because she had seen this dance company perform and she asked me why I wasn't in it. <laughs> and I said, I'm adulting. I have a job. I've got graduate student loans. Isn't this what we're supposed to do? Go to college and then work. <laughs> and, but she had put it on my mind. So I looked into it. I couldn't find a lot of information just because of, again, back then there wasn't as much information on the internet. But what I did know is that they were doing a lot of what I loved, but never thought I could do for a living. Cause going back to, I grew up as a performing arts kid. So here I am looking at this dance company and I said, let me call my mother and see what she says. If she says do it, I'll do it. If she says don't, I won't. My mother said to me, you only live once. And this was way before Drake was even thinking about rapping, right? And so I said, okay. So I decided to audition. And I said, if I make it, then that's what I'm supposed to be doing. And if not, then I've got this salary job and it's fine. I was enjoying my life. There were about 75 people who auditioned. They picked three people. I was one of the people. So I moved from LA to DC and that opened up a almost decades worth of being back in the performing arts. So I was on a, in a dance company and then I did a few Broadway national tours. And then I did a few regional musical theater shows and stuff like that. Because once I started, I only expected to be doing it for a year. Then I was like, I'm going to come right back to L.A. and become an executive again. Because I still wanted to be an executive. I still at that point wasn't saying, oh, I'm going to go be a writer. I knew I wanted to work on the corporate side. But once I started performing again, I was like, how am I supposed to go back to a desk? Like how? So for eight years, I continued to perform. While I was doing that, people were still contacting me, asking me to read their novels or read their screenplays and edit and proofread and give notes. I was not marketing any services. I wasn't giving any services. I didn't have a name for a company. I was just out there performing. I wasn't even thinking about writing or thinking about doing anything, but people kept contacting me here and there. So finally I was like, well, I guess I should be charging these people. So I started charging people and it was just a little bit, it was just a side hustle because when you're in performing arts, it's contract to contract gigs. So you might have one contract that lasts a month, another one that lasts a week, another one that lasts a year. And every single time it's over, you're right back out there with bills to pay and no money. So having something on the side worked out just fine. And so it wasn't until 2018 when I finished my last Broadway national tour and I was out in New York doing some more auditions, but professional pin opportunities kept coming from everywhere. And I finally said, Shannon, it's being thrown in your face what you're supposed to be doing. Why don't you focus in on this and do it? And so in 2018, I moved back to Los Angeles. 2019, I started doing, I, st I already started doing the professional pen full time, but it was still considered a side hustle because I hadn't made it into an LLC or anything like that. Because again, I was auditioning. I was still trying to perform. So in 2018, I moved back to DC. I'm not to DC, to Los Angeles. I had been doing professional pen basically full time since about August. And in January, I said, well, let's get the, C let's get the LLC papers in line and let's go. And so that's how it happened. Even when I came back to L.A. this time around, I still expected only to do the professional pin as a side hustle 
until I got hired as an executive. I came back here wanting to be an executive. I wanted to be on the inside because I feel like that's where a lot of the work needs to be done. But Hollywood is a who kind of place and I was gone for a decade. So I just didn't know anyone. It's not that I didn't know literally anyone, but I didn't know enough people. So I was applying to hundreds of jobs. And I was also willing to start from the bottom because I knew I had been gone for a decade. I was like, okay, I can start at the bottom. I can start as an assistant and I won't be on that desk long because I know what I'm doing. By the time I got back, I was very confident. I knew I was an expert at storytelling. I knew that I knew what I was doing. No one could tell me that I didn't. But I also understood that this industry is not about what I know. It just isn't. I sent out my resume a million trillion times. I wasn't getting any calls. Nobody was caring to even think about me. And so, again, I was like, the professional pen is going really great. So why don't you just focus in and just let that be? And you're going to do so well at this that those same people who wouldn't bother to read your resume are going to want you. And now they're going to have to hire you on a contract basis because you're not going to go work for them as a salaried employee. How did you come up with the name The Professional Pen? (laughs) Funny, I didn't. The guy I was dating at the time did. (laughs) That's a nice gift. (laughs) Yeah, I don't remember what I was trying to call it. I have the slightest idea. And we probably threw back and forth. If I can find it, I'm sure I wrote it down somewhere. We're probably throwing back and forth some names or blah, blah, blah. And then so I don't know if he put together some different words that we had on the page. And that's how he came up with the professional pen. Or if it just came straight off the top of his head. I have no idea. But it was definitely his idea. And well, it does certainly fit. So how do you come to be so confident and to know your worth and to just force ahead? Have you always been that type of person? Because that's certainly something I've noticed as you chat about your abilities and you're very sure about what, mm-hmm. what your special sauce is. And mm-hmm. <laughs> notice how I threw it there, your special sauce, because we're going to talk about <laughs> truffle sauce. <laughs> yeah. I'd say I became confident in high school. I don't remember ever being an insecure person, but I know that I was confident in high school. But I think the sad part of it is that confidence had to come from a place of, I had been bullied in middle school. So I began to carry myself in a different way and deal with people in a different way. Some of it also wasn't nice. So I had to learn what kind of person do I want to be. I was always pretty self-aware. And when I got to high school and I decided no one was going to bully me anymore, and then I became a bully, and then I had to have a conversation with myself about, but you don't want to be a bully. You don't want to harm people. I understood that the words could last a lifetime. I understood that however it is I treated people wasn't just for this moment. That's something that they were going to have to live with. And I knew I didn't want to. And so I decided not to be pretty quickly. But then once I got put into leadership positions in high school, it just clicked for me. And this is, it's just, I'm a natural leader, even when I don't want to be. Even if I walk into a room and say, Shannon, this is not your show. Sit back, let the people do it. Somehow, some way they pull me in. It's not me just bulldozing it because I believe that in order to be a great leader, you also have to know how to follow and when to follow. But there's just something natural about me that puts me in leadership positions. And you have to be confident as a leader. You have to be. You have to know what you know. And I'm a person who studies. I'm a person who researches. So I don't walk into a room not knowing. And if I don't know, I have no problem with saying that I don't know because I don't want to set an expectation. I believe in communication. I always have. I remember... My cohort in graduate school used to laugh at me all the time because if an instructor would ask me a question and I didn't know, I would say, I don't know. (laughs) And they would think that was funny, but it was like, but if I let them know that I don't know, then they'll give me the information so that I can know. Like they saw it as, oh, Shannon's just being blah, 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 but it's no. How am I going to get the information if I walk around acting like I know everything? I don't. 
I know what I know and I know what I don't know in most situations until I got to my executive job and I realized, yo, I don't know anything. That's the one time in my life that I can remember being insecure and I didn't like myself. I didn't like how I felt going into work. I didn't like that these people didn't know the same Shannon everybody else knew. I remember saying to myself, if any of my friends were to come to work with me, they wouldn't know who I am. That's how different of a person I was in that atmosphere after being told, be seen and not heard and not really being able to thrive because I just didn't know what I was doing. So once I was no longer in that space and I had learned a little bit more and then was able to really focus on what I like. Once people started sending me their stuff to read, now I wasn't worried about marketing and digital and branding and casting and all these other things. I was only reading people's stories. I got to get back to that, that stage of I'm sitting at home binge watching shows. I'm not, I'm back into the rhythm and I know that I know that stuff <laughs> and it's just true. The other thing is being an entrepreneur, you can't come into this thing lacking confidence especially in the age of social media these days. You know what I mean? So as, a, as an entrepreneur, you cannot lack confidence. In the age of social media, it's one of the only ways to really sell yourself and sell your business. And I'm glad I started with sell yourself because social media has also blended, blurred those lines. Growing up, it was separate from personal. Now, because of social media, they're one and the same. So people want to work with your company if they want to work with you, if they like you, which is so weird for me because I grew up learning that those two things are supposed to be separate. So I understood that I was going to have to go online and make people believe that I was an expert. You have to be confident if you're going to do that. But I was also choosing something that I knew well, like it's not just me being confident. I do know it. And so getting on there and talking about story is what I can do. So that's what I did and what worked for me as far as building my building my audience, just to get on there and talk about what I know. And again, if someone asks me a question and I don't know, I just tell them I don't know. You got to set the expectation. I don't want to lie to people. So it's, look, I don't know. That's not my lane. I ask the person who does know. But when it's about stuff that I do know, then I'm just confident in it because I know that's going to be the best way to to sell me and to sell my business. So... I guess to answer your question, for most of my life, I have always been a confident person. I had that small section of time working at that network where my confidence was very low. So I lead with that. Whew. Thank you. I didn't know I needed this conversation today. The In any industry and in life, people want to invest in you. People want to root yeah. for you. People want to, people root for the hero. And yeah. you're the hero of the story you're trying to tell. And they want to root for you. So I'm happy to ask about the professional pen so that you could talk about what you do. So folks who are listening could could know a little bit more about your services. I feel like I want to sign up and I'm not even a screenwriter. <laughs> <laughs> but I think but what we do as photographers will tell a story in one image. Yeah, and honestly, exactly. I think learning about learning about screenwriting learning about how to tell a story and learning about cinematography makes me a much better photographer and that's how I found mm -hmm. out about you I was studying mm -hmm. and then you popped oh yes. gosh and then you popped cinematography is so hard that is something mm -hmm. I am not good at cinematography and not at all 
So let's talk about the professional pen. And then obviously we want to talk about Truffle Sauce, the new movie that you made. I mean, what are some of the benefits of people joining your program and being part of the professional pen? So the professional pen develops screenwriters from idea to pitch. So that means you wake up one morning and say, hey, I want to write a screenplay or you are an established screenwriter already in the business and you're just looking for an accountability partner, or like I said earlier, a teacher or a therapist, <laughs> because we, evolve, uh, we revolve around those three positions in a screenwriter's life. The biggest thing that you get out of working with a professional pen is that, like I said earlier, coverage is unhelpful to writers. So we don't offer coverage, we offer development notes. And development notes are page by page line by line, word by word, notes on story, character, form any areas of confusion, any areas of development. And then we also will then give you an overview on where your screenplay is and how you can get out of the holes or the problems. From there, the other thing that's different about the professional pin is if you were to turn your script into a, to a coverage company, they're going to send your script to reader number 279. That reader is then going to give you subjective notes, usually more on marketability than on actual story. So not having notes on story doesn't help you to solve your problems, right? But let's say you send it out there and they send it back to you. You make the revisions based on what they told you. And when you send it back, instead of it going back to number 279, it now goes to number 504. So now you're going to get another subjective point of view on your notes who did not read your first draft because now you're trying to make different subjective opinions work in your story. And so that's unhelpful. So when you come to professional pen, you're going to get assigned one story expert. And when they give you notes, when you do your revision and you're ready for more notes, you're going to send it back to that same person so that they can track your progress. Because here we're trying to build professional storytellers, right? We want you to get to a place where you can be churning out screenplays and actually go make a living on it. In order to do that, we have to tell, be able to tell you if you're getting closer to that or farther away from it. Addressing notes is a big part of being a professional writer. So if we've given you notes and then you send your revision in and your revision is nowhere near those notes that we gave you, then we know we now need to help you learn how to take notes. But we can't do that if different people are reading your screenplay. So you just get a different experience working with a professional pen. And it's one of the reasons that I started really honing in on this because I realized there's such a gap of, of resources between people who are outside what I call the largest gated community in the world, which is Hollywood, and the people who are inside, right? And so those resources are non-existent for a lot of people on the outside. And so we're here to give you those resources. If we have the game, we're just going to give it to you. Instead, what happens is people stand on the outside of that gate trying to get the code and the people on the inside have the code and they're just walking around not giving it to you, <laughs> right? But we're like, hey, if we have it, we're just going to give it. We're pretty honest and open with our writers so that they can get better. We care about developing the writer just as much as we do the content. Who cares if you can write one good screenplay? Can you write three? Because now mm. you know you're ready to try to get into this industry, at least to say that you want to make your living doing this because that's different. Plenty of people wake up with a story to tell. Do you want to make your living like this? Because if so, writing one screenplay is not going to get you there. Like you have to think about salaries and <laughs> you have to think about being able to feed your family and yourself and all of that from year to year. So if that's the case, you have to be able to churn these things out pretty often. But you can't do that if you don't understand structure. Someone giving you notes and telling you, we like this, we don't like this, or 
this isn't marketable or that isn't marketable does not help you learn screenplay structure. It just doesn't. So that's why I say we're teachers in that facet. Ooh. To close out, I'd love for you, us to, for you to tell us a bit about your latest film, Truffle Sauce. Where can we watch it? How can we learn more? Yes. You. Yes. Yeah, so I'm a person who always tells people to stay in their lane. My lane is screenwriting. That's the lane I like to stay in. <laughs> However, ever since then, it's just been leaning on me to make it, even though I like to stay in my lane. I don't want to produce. Or I don't want to direct. I don't want to do any of that. But it just kept leaning on me. So I said, okay, let's do it. So then that means I had to be executive producer because it was my project. So we went into production in 2021. And dang, that, that's been a year. Was it 2021? Oh my gosh, that was a year ago. So we went into production in 2021. We finished up post-production earlier this year. And now we are uh, applying to festivals and trying to see if we can get it in front of people who matter so that we can try to get more work for myself as a writer, my director, Isaac Yeoman, for our actors, etc. And so right now you aren't able to find it anywhere because we are applying for festivals. We just got into a festival here in Houston called the Borders No Borders Festival. <clears throat> and it's actually going to be showing in Houston on November 14th. So I'm not sure when this is going to air, but November 14th. So if you're looking for information on that, you can go to our website at www.trufflesaucefilm.com. And there you can also find some pictures from the film, our trailer for the film. And to give you a little bit of information about what it's about, a young girl named Tweet who is a tattoo artist and she's at the pivotal moment in her life where she has to choose to try something new, which is which we're watching being symbolized through her selling of truffle sauce as she tries to graduate from college and pay her last bill or continue down her path of trauma, which is human trafficking. And so it's a big topic that we decided to tackle. It's told in a very nuanced way from the point of view of someone who you would never know what she's going through. And so it teaches you to give people grace when you're interacting with them. Beautiful. Oh, goodness. Shannon, thank you so much for joining us. This has been such a treat. I've learned so much and I can't. So I've been crushing on all of your work and all of your knowledge and all that you have to share. And I'm so pleased we got a chance to chat. I have to say that I do have a small, very short film that the team and I are going to be making. So oh, I will awesome. be leaning on the professional pen for some for some consulting, <laughs> consulting with the professional pen just so that we can flesh out our ideas and make it go. But thank you so much for Love. your time. And I really enjoyed hearing from you. Yes, thank you for having me. I appreciate you guys reaching out to me. And when it's time to make a short film, yes, please reach out. We'll definitely help you along the way because we learned a lot making this short film. <laughs> we learned a <laughs> lot. So hopefully we can help you not have to deal with some of the things that we dealt with. Oh, perfect. Perfect. And I love everything that you do, especially the the professional pens IG, because I learn about what I should watch and why uh. <laughs> I like some things and why I really yeah. don't like certain yeah. things. That's what matters to me. It's the why. I tell people all the time, if you're sending your work out to people and all they're giving you is their opinion about what they like and don't like, that's so unhelpful. If they can't mm -hmm. tell you why they don't like it or why they like it, then as an artist, that doesn't help us in our journeys to become better artists. So that's one of the reasons why I do those critiques is because I want people to see, even if I didn't like it, 
I want you to know why so that you can now have that vocabulary when you're looking at your own stuff. So some people will send me messages and go, you don't like anything. You're just being critical of everything. And it's, that's not the point. The point of this page is to teach. There are some things that I don't write about at all, but <laughs> if I am going to write about it, I have to be able to come from the objective place of why, no matter what. So I'm glad that you're able to learn that because that's exactly why I do it. Oh, perfect. Thank you so much. Thank you.